This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Man, I'm pumped with the growth of the show. We continue to grow every single week, and I'm so grateful to the thousands of leaders around the world who listen every single week and then share the show with their colleagues. And the DMs might be my favorite thing. Keep them coming. I love hearing what resonates with you. And today, we've got something different. I'm really excited about today. I have a totally different episode lined up for today, something that we've never done before. Today, I'm welcoming two people to the show. I'm excited to welcome Jordana Zeldin and Jonathan Mahan to the show. Jordana and Jonathan run an organization called The Practice Lab. The Practice Lab helps salespeople and sales teams get better at what they do through, well, practice. Jordana and Jonathan help professional salespeople take an approach to skill development in similar ways to how professional athletes, performers, and musicians do with theirs through deep and deliberate practice. The Practice Lab is turning a lot of heads right now, and they've been recommended to me by people that I respect very, very highly. And after our conversation today, I hope you'll find their insights around the importance of practice just as helpful as I have. Because practice is something that sales leaders can really help their teams benefit from, and I'm excited to talk and ha- talk about how we can do that today. So let's not delay. Let's get after it. Jordana, Jonathan, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Hey, we're excited to be here. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. So the Practice Lab is an ex- a company I'm excited to showcase. Uh, I'm excited to showcase your work. You guys are doing some really interesting things for our listeners. I was introduced to you by a dear friend of both of us, Mr. Larry Long Jr. Uh, Larry has been on our show three times. He's one of our most downloaded people. He's a guy I respect. And when Larry reaches out to me and says, Jonathan and Jordana are people you've got to have on the show, I say, yes, how fast can we do it? So for our listeners, 
They know Larry. They like Larry. They've enjoyed him. I, I say that so they can get excited about where we're about to go. But why don't you guys introduce the practice lab, introduce yourselves, what you do for your customers. You guys are used to working as a team. You're going to have to be gentle with me as I get used to working with three people instead of or two people instead of one. That's okay. It just takes a bit of practice, right? Let's go. John, why don't you, why don't you start with the origin story of all of this, this nuttiness? Yeah. Yeah. So really this all started um, back when I was uh, an account executive at a company and I was going through training with a new company. I just started a job. I was watching the training videos in the morning. They were great training videos, right? They were teaching us about all the right questions to ask, all the best ways to handle pricing objections, all of the best sales process to follow. It was great stuff. Then I'd have lunch and in the afternoon, I would listen to calls of my peers uh, using the Gong app. And what I found right. is that there was basically no overlap between what people were actually doing on their sales calls and what we were all being trained on. Okay. And it was this reminder to me that there's a big difference between intellectually understanding something and actually having the skill needed to pull it off on a real call. And then I realized the same thing was true of me, right? I'm a very avid, you know, uh, reader of sales books. And yet, you know, it was very hard for me to take what I had learned and actually do it on real calls. And what really did it, though, is that in the evenings, I was listening to this book called Peak and then later a book called The Talent Code. And both of these books are written by researchers who have spent literally decades studying top performers across a variety of industries, from acting to sports to you know, music. And what these researchers found is that for every one of these disciplines, the way the best became the best is by using something in the middle between knowledge and execution. And that thing they used was practice in a particular form of practice called deliberate practice. And that is every other industry's secret for taking the theory they learn and making it something they can actually pull off come performance time. And I immediately looked at my own sales career and went, holy crap, I've been doing this like eight years and I have never once engaged in focused, deliberate practice to convert my knowledge into something I can actually execute. So I got really excited and said, well, if I'm going to be the seller that I want to be, I got to start practicing. So the earliest roots of the practice lab were just these sessions I ran with my colleagues were like, they and I would practice together. And uh, pretty soon after, I brought Jordana in, who had experience as a sales trainer and really brought a really fresh element um, to this and a certain uh, uh, enhancement to the program for sure. And uh, then we started offering it to the public. And then we started, you know, uh, it, it kind of took us, took us away from there. But the earliest origins of this really were myself realizing I needed practice to become better, to be able to take what I had learned and actually do it on real sales calls. Love it. Love the story. I love everything about it. I got a whole bunch of, of things I want to dive into just from hearing that. Anything you'd add as a postscript to that, Jordana? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say, you know, when this began, it really began kind of as like a, an experiment where we wanted to ask, like, could this approach to deliberate practice that every other single discipline uses to convert knowing into doing actually be applied to sales. So we began this grand experiment with these cohorts of account executives, hand-raising account executives who were like, okay, I want to try this practice thing from companies across the B2B landscape, like Seismic and Sendoso and similar web, really great companies, all account executives selling different products. And we started to get to work thinking, all right, with well, the sales thing, it's a little different than tennis. It's not quite the same as acting. What in practice does it actually look like to break down the complexity of consultative selling into these bite-sized practicable behaviors and components? 
And we tested it for about a year, you know, really in the lab. I mean, we're called the practice lab, but it really was and is a laboratory in the truest sense. And it was only when we started to really see its effectiveness that we were like, yes, this can be done. We can charge for this. And we want to help to bring this style of effective practice to teams as well. So that's been the evolution. We, we, we did not know when we set out if this would hold water in the way that we that we thought or hoped it might. Well, sounds like it sounds like you guys are doing some fun things. And like I said, I, I can't wait to learn more about how we do it. I'm really excited. We've got 50,000 sales leaders that are listening to you guys right now all around the world, different te- different different industries, but they all have a similar challenge. We got to help people become better. I think the primary role of a leader is the development of people to help them become better than they were before they worked with you. And uh, it's nobody wakes up wanting to be managed, uh, but what we could do and what we need to do is help people become better. And I like this idea of deliberate practice, Jonathan, that you started with. And before we go deeper, as I was listening to the both of you, I was, rem- I was reminded about stats that probably most leaders, sales leaders have seen. Maybe they're updated. I know these are older. It may be worse. It may be better, but I remember like not too long ago, CEB sharing that like 91% of what's taught in training is forgotten within 30 days of, of training. Uh, has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? Is it about the same? It's it's the same. It's, it's the classic forgetting curve. But yeah. I think what's often really relieving for sales leaders and enablement leaders is like, it's not your fault. Like you spend so much time as a leader or enablement person, like thinking, what are the skills my team needs to develop? And you deliver these trainings and you build them with so much thought and care, then as Jonathan said, the behaviors aren't showing up on gong recordings. And then you're like, well, I have to blame somebody. Who should I blame? Do I blame myself? Do I blame my sellers? But what Jonathan and I have realized is that nobody is to blame. It's just that someone showing up and talking at a bunch of human beings with a PowerPoint presentation isn't really the way that human beings learn most effectively. So it's really about equipping leaders with the tools to help them get all of that information that they want their reps to have and support them in turning it into something that they can do. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so I want to dive into this. I, like I said, we're going to run out of time. I, this is, this is a topic that I have a lot of passion and energy around because people that get good at this, their teams, small changes, their teams do massively different. And so I'm really excited about this. So why don't you start whoever this term deliberate practice, like what is it? What does it really mean? And maybe more important, what's the business case for it? Yeah, let's start with, let's start with what it is. Um, and maybe it's best by starting with what it isn't. Cause I think yeah. most, you know, people in sales have at one point experienced a role play and probably hated it. Um, I certainly hated doing role plays. And the, the key differentiator with deliberate practice is that you could go heading into your practice with a very clear vision of what good looks like, a very clear intention on what you want to do, and very clear feedback on how you did, and the opportunity to immediately make changes, as opposed to more traditional role play where you just like hop on stage, metaphorically, uh, do your thing, and then sit back down, and then someone else's turn to step up and do their thing and sit back down. When all you do is just step up, do your thing, and then you're done, all you're doing is just making the way you already do it more permanent, more ingrained. It doesn't actually help you get better. I always think about tying my shoes. I have tied my shoes every single day for the last 20 plus years, and I'm not any better at it than I was 10 years ago. How is it that I can do repetition after repetition and not get any better? 
it's because when I'm tying my shoes, I'm not applying any focus, any intention. I'm not being deliberate with how I'm doing it. I don't have a clear idea in mind of how I want to be better. I'm not analyzing how I did to find ways to improve. So deliberate practice kind of brings all those elements in where with deliberate practice, you're looking at the whole performance. You're breaking down into its individual pieces. Those could be like timestamp moments, or those could just be fundamental skills that you want to have. And then you're focusing on one piece at a time. And you have a clear idea in your mind of what good looks like and what you're aiming for. Then you, do, then you do your best trying to implement that. And then you immediately get feedback on how you did, what was good, and where you still need to work. And then you jump back in and you try again to see if you can get a little closer to the mark this time. And you're in an environment where you're consistently making mistakes, so to speak, because again, you're pushing yourself to the very edge of your abilities. You're trying to do things in a new and different way you haven't done them before. And you're immediately integrating any feedback you get into your next attempt to try to be better. That allows the brain to actually do things differently. That allows the brain to become more aware of its performance. That allows the brain to make new choices and ultimately grow new skills versus, you know, again, traditional role play where you just step up and say things the way you always said them and then sit back down and you're done. There's really no benefit to doing that. Um, all you're doing is reinforcing the current way of doing things. Nothing actually changes. You don't actually grow new skills. There's something so important about what you just said. Jonathan, can I hop in for one second, Rob? So Jonathan yeah. said something about the, the importance of making mistakes. And I know before we started, we started recording, Rob, you talked about this idea of like the performance zone and the improvement zone, right? The yeah. biggest mistake that sales leaders and sales teams with the best of intentions, of course, often make in role play is they mistake like practice for performance. And what I mean by that is like when you're doing, let's say a role play more often than not, it's happening at game speed right? Like your partner's paying your prospect, they're throwing an objection at you. You're supposed to handle the objection as best you can. And then as, as Jonathan said, then you sit down, right? And the idea is that you as the rep are there to show off to your leader or manager how well, how well you can do things, right? How smooth you are. Yeah. That's performance. But one of the really, really important- So good. Right? One of the fundamental- characteristics of deliberate practice, and this is really how we encourage reps to practice in the practice lab and with teams, is to slow things way down, right? Game speed happens later, but if we're to build awareness and to build new skills, we've got to slow down the tape. So if you're doing deliberate practice, let's say of objection handling, and there's a certain moment, right, where you want to change your rep's behavior, let the, the let the person who's playing the prospect throwing the objection at the practicer name the objection and give the practicer a moment to think literally like how am i going to handle this and then maybe they try it and it's crappy or it's filled with mistakes or it's not quite right that's okay because in deliberate practice we're not trying to perform we're trying to learn and develop new awareness so then we invite the practicer to try again or to say you know what that wasn't quite right and to double back and make corrections so it's in that space where mistakes are welcome where the speed is dramatically reduced that people are able to start to build awareness of their behavior to make different decisions so that come a real sales call when things are sped up They've, they've developed those new neurological grooves in practice to serve better performance. That's a genius thing that you just said. Probably every sales leader has sometime done a role play or two. Some people love them. Some people hate them, but everybody's done them. And role plays is the performance zone. You are performing. You're in front of your team. You're in front of your, 
Like you're not trying to get better. You're trying to show, can I actually do it right? I want to be like identified as best practice, right? And um, it's really well said that that doesn't, it reminds me of my son was in martial arts years ago and they had to do these creeds for everything they had. And like one of them was practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect, sir. That's what they had to say. And, uh, and, and mine is always, you know, practice doesn't make perfect. It just makes permanent to your point, Jonathan. And yeah. so, so that's what deliberate practice is not and what it is before we get into how we do it. Cause I got a million questions now around what, you know, identifying what good looks like and identifying what those behaviors are that are associated with results. And how do you find I, this can be awesome. We're, like, I can't wait people that do this. Well, let's go to the last chapter of the book, people who do this. Well, what happens to their sales organizations? Oh my God. So much. I mean, there, well, so here's what I'll say and and not to get too far off the beaten path. So I want to have people really excited about what you're about to say next. So like what happens if you get this thing, right, what happens to your team? Well, here's the thing. So literally everything improves and this is what's so cool. And yes, you know, metrics and conversion rates and all of that stuff go up, but it's not just because they go up. It's that reps feel more confidence in their selling because they've had the time getting in their messy at bats but they also feel more control because again, this identifying what good sounds like, like people don't realize often that when you're selling, like you're, you're using like a hundred skills at once. Right. And if you just tell someone to go sell something, it's very hard to even know, well, like what behaviors am I doing at every point in the sales conversation to know which ones are having an impact? It's really hard to know, but if you're able to break it down and say like an opener, when you start your call, you're wanting to telegraph, let's say, that this is a collaborative dialogue, that this is a space of transparency. And this is how you deliver an agenda to kick off your call in that way. Then sellers can then, and managers and sales leaders and enablers in their call recordings, right, in their one-on-ones, can look at that agenda and say, aha, these were the elements that lead to all of these outcomes that you effectively did. These were the ones where you can get improvement. So at every at every moment, and we hear this from sellers all the time, they're able to point out the exact behaviors and skills that they did that led to what outcomes. Now, Jonathan, I feel like we should also touch on the cultural piece too. I don't know if you feel like talking about the benefits of sales team culture from practice. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. The awareness piece, even just having that common shared vocabulary around what good looks like and being able to tell what needs work, right, is, is a huge step up from a lot of sales teams where they just feel like, I don't know, I think I'm doing well, am I? I'm not sure. Um, but you're right, the culture piece is huge because when you really focus on deliberate practice, it really sends a very strong, clear message that we're not here as a group to one-up each other. We're not here to impress each other. We're not here to prove our worth. We're here to get better. And I'm here as a manager to help you get better. And it starts to shift the whole culture to this growth mindset and really to shift the culture away from simply, we just chase the numbers to just like hit our numbers and find a way to make it happen. And shifting the approach to, we're here to get better. And by becoming better and becoming masters of our craft, that's how we're gonna get better. And the impacts that has on reps feeling supported, reps feeling like they're growing and developing um, is huge. The impacts that has on even just relationships between reps, again, because this practice is happening together in pairs. So it really helps to strengthen relationships on amongst the team. So the cultural piece really starts to shift and you start to have a sales team who's not just there to like do their job, stay off the reports and not get yelled at. You have a, a team who's there 
truly earnestly trying to become the best versions of themselves and feeling like they're actually equipped and empowered to become the best version of themselves through this practice. And then I think the so final is, piece to the, the benefits um, of teams who do this is you do start to see behavior change, right? How yeah. frustrating it is as a sales leader when quarter after quarter, year after year, you're training your reps on what good looks like and you're looking at their calls and it's just not happening. You're teaching them what good listening sounds like and what good questions are to ask in discovery. You're teaching them you know, how to get buyers more engaged during demos and you're watching their demos and they're just feature dumping monologues and you're face palming, right? You're watching the discovery calls and they're missing cues that they should have gone deeper and explored more because the reps just aren't curious. So teams who take this approach, right? We've, worked, we've talked with like KD and Scott Lees who have done this when they ran sales yeah. teams in the past. And when they take this approach, they actually do start to see behaviors change on their team. They do start to see more curiosity and better questions and discovery. They do start to see more, you know, interactive, engaging demos, um, which again, can be massively frustrating when you're not seeing that behavior change after you've sunk all this time, effort, energy into one-on-one coaching and the trainings, et cetera. Well, I think that like this fires me up. So we've done the first third. We, we, have, we have like two thirds of our time together. And so now that we've set the business case and what it is, now I want to get into creating a blueprint of how we create something like this. You got you used a term, Jonathan, that I want to go back to. He says bite-sized chunks. I remember when I like it used to be called chunking. I don't know if it's still called that or not, but but that idea, I have two two areas. I don't know where to go. I want you guys to lead on this. Like we got a lot of people that are like, yeah, okay, I want, I want those things, all those cultural things, all those results things, all those confidence things, all those development things. I want all of those things, especially right now when like the sales world's changing so fast right now. I want all of those things. So my first area that I want to jump into is how do you identify two things? How do you identify what are the behaviors that are identified with the results that you want? And then how do you identify what good looks like so you can then turn those into bite-sized chunks? Is that is that a good, appropriate place to start? That's a great place to start. Jonathan, I feel like your brain is the brain of the of the two of us that has the ability to break this down into the bite-sized chunks. So why don't why don't you take this one? Yeah. When I think about breaking things down, I break them down along kind of two dimensions. One is moments and one is like core skills or like, you know, say brain abilities. So moments are those moments in the sales conversation that really carry an, an outsized uh, impact on the outcome of the conversation. So sometimes those moments are something like the opening of a call, right? Starting a call off on the right foot has a really big impact on how the rest of the call goes. So you can just zoom in on just that moment, just practice that moment. Other moments are ones that you don't know when they're going to happen, but you can kind of depend on the fact that they're going to happen. So for example, frequently asked questions such as, hey, how do you differ from competitor? You can practice just that moment and how you respond to that moment over and over again. Love that. Another moment we like to focus on is during a demo, right after you shared one of your features, what do you say next? Do you just pause for a second and then say, okay, so our next feature is, or maybe when you're done sharing the feature, you ask something like, does that make sense? It's not a very effective question, is it? Or do you have any questions? It's not a very effective question. There are much more impactful questions you can ask in that moment when you've just finished sharing a feature. Questions that'll get the buyer thinking about what they just saw, thinking about how they would use what they just saw, talking about how what they just saw would benefit them. So that's one of those moments you can zoom in and say, okay, guys, imagine you've just finished sharing this feature. What are you going to say to hand the microphone over to your customer and get them talking about what matters most to them? So that's a moment. So I would just watch through sales calls and identify those key moments, whether your reps did really great or did very poorly, where you realize, ooh, how they handle this 
that matters a lot. That has a big impact. And you can watch recordings to figure this out. You can ask your top performers what they think are some of the most pivotal moments. Uh, a lot of how we got our exercise at the practice lab is even just reading some of our favorite sales books and kind of paying attention to the moments that they call out, right? You know, Keenan in his book, Gap Selling, talks a lot about when your customer shares a problem with you, what do you do at that moment when they share the problem with you? Do you just stop and say, great, we can help with that? Or do you pause and get curious about what are the root causes of that problem? And what impacts might that problem be having across the organization? So that's a moment you could zoom in on. When you first hear the surface of a problem, what do you do next? And Jonathan, I just want to call out too, the reason these moments are so important is because all too often, you know, we'll hear sales leaders saying to their team, like, you just need to get your buyer talking more, right? Or like this, this demo shouldn't be a monologue. It needs to be a dialogue or like ask more questions. And though those are all spot on directives and things that we all want, of course, in our sales conversations, it's very hard for reps to take that general feedback and then know how to do, do the thing, get the outcomes that the sales leader is wanting. So these moments, these specific moments are what help a sales leader say, we're wanting more engagement and more conversation from our, from our buyers in a demo. That moment after you share a feature is an opportunity for that to happen. These are the kinds of questions that you can ask your buyers in order to create that kind of engagement. Yeah. I love it because I go back to what you said when you kicked it off, Jonathan, that behaviors don't show up in a gong uh, record. They don't show up in a, in a Salesforce report. And so finding those behaviors, I would imagine is a really important job for a leader because we, we don't want to just say, go work hard. I see that there's a lot of people that say, just work hard, cross your fingers and hope. I think this idea of, of working deeply or being committed to your craft, or some people call it deep work or whatever you want to call it, Working hard, if you are working the right way, you can do more in five or six hours than someone's doing if they work eight, nine, or 10 hours. And so that's why I love this idea about what are we becoming? You got to choose growth over grind. I believe there's 18 leadership choices that leaders have to make. And one of the early ones is you got to choose growth over grind. So that means you got to practice if you're going to grow. You got to do it. And so you can't just say, oh, let's role play, because as you said, Jordana, that's the performance zone still. So we've got to be able to identify these moments and then we got to go one step farther and say, what's the behavior we want to build as part of it? And so I like how you said, find the moment. Is it as simple as like just watching get you the behaviors? Is, is there anything to getting the behaviors more than just what that moment? Because I, I do like the idea of moments that matter. I would call it moments that matter. And I'd say, we got to be elite at these six moments or something like that, right? Um, any, any other advice on what a behavior is versus, you know, a moment? Yeah, for in terms of finding these moments, I can say the way that I found them is by watching recordings and noticing, right? Um, just yep. moments where I go, ooh, I wonder what the rep's going to say next because <laughs> that's a good question the buyer just asked. Or again, that's a, an interesting statement the buyer just made. I wonder if the rep's going to explore that further. And then again, by okay. listening to sales books and listening to moments that authors call out um, is the way that I've kind of sourced these. Um, but uh, so it would seem like creating observable moments, creating moments yourself where you're observing. You don't want to be an armchair quarterback. You better be making sure that you are watching and seeing is what I would. You can do it through some virtual things, but probably participating with people and seeing it live in action, I would imagine is part of it too, right? 
You certainly can. I've, I've always used gong recordings, you know, after the fact, and that's worked fine for me. But if you can actually run sales calls on your own or sit in on your rep sales calls, you might be able to more easily tune into those moments that really make a difference. Okay. Um, the other thing too, to think about is underlying skills. And these are definitely harder to pinpoint and definitely harder to find ways to practice. So I usually recommend people start with just identifying and practicing key moments, but there are some things that are really important that don't fit necessarily into one particular moment or another. For example, okay. most people would agree that a really, really powerful skill for reps to have is to be good listeners. Listeners who not only pay full attention and notice everything that's being said, but who are piecing together kind of a storyline based on what they're hearing and maybe noticing gaps in the narrative that they want to explore further. Reps who are listening deeply enough to notice, you know, emotional words that are being used or noticing changes in tone and body language, right, that tell them they should explore further. That's not a moment. Listening happens throughout the entire sales call. It's more of a foundational skill. Similarly, like curiosity and empathy, right, are, are, are skills. Or even just like the ability to ask good questions. That is a skill that is going to serve you throughout the entire sales process. So while it's a little harder to find ways to practice these, we do recommend if you're going to have people practice these, you have them practice one at a time, one piece at a time. So it's not like you're zooming in on a moment. You're just zooming in on a particular style or skill. So for one exercise, you might just have your reps focus on reading body language. And at this point, you aren't having them focus on anything else. You're not having them focus on asking good questions. You're not asking them, having them focus on checking the boxes on MedPick. You're not having them focus on tone of their own voice. All you're having them focus on during this practice round is reading the other person's body language. Just focus on that piece. And then maybe the next time you guys practice, you just focus on their listening skills, right? And maybe the next time you practice, you just focus on tone and just say, all right, I don't care what you say in this, this exercise, this role play. All I care about is the tone of voice you're using. So let's just focus on that and get to a point where your tone feels really good. So foundational skills are really important too. And again, um, are worth practicing, but you ought to practice them one piece at a time. Don't ask people to like stack six different variables together and do everything well all at once, right? Break it down to one piece at a time. And the Love reason it. of course, for that, you know, who here has listened to one of their reps call recordings and then handed them a checklist of 60 pieces of feedback, which is great in a way, but what is the rep supposed to then do, do with those 60 yeah. pieces of feedback? But if you hone in and give them one key focus that you'll then follow up on during your next one-on-one, -on -one, suddenly you draw their awareness to what just one thing they can do to move the needle and make their selling that much more effective, then you build on it the next week, right? But if our goal as sales leaders and enablers isn't just to tell people all the wrong things they did in ways that they can improve, but actually change behavior, we have to take our cues from how, how human beings learn things. And it's not by trying to do 60 things at once. It's so obvious when you think about, like I loved how you said all performers of anything, whether it's athletes or artists or entertainers, they all practice, they re rehearse. Like if you're a, an actor, you have rehearsal. And if, you, if, you're, if you're an athlete, you have practice. But people pay lip service to this. Like since you're in the business of helping people add this, and you've named a couple of sales leaders that I know well and have a lot of respect for, like Scott, like Kevin. Um, those two are people that are unique because they're both really good at it. Most people, I think, are less good at that. Um, you mentioned kind of my idea of the performance zone and the improvement zone. And I think that those are blurred lines most of the time. I think they get really blurry. What observations you guys work with sales orgs 
all over the place. You guys are doing work that's getting the attention of people that I have a lot of respect for. So that means you're doing good stuff. And that's why I'm excited to have you here talking to our leaders everywhere. What are the things that you see leaders that get this do maybe system-wise or culturally or structurally to, to create these zones of learning? So, Because there's so much performance pressure. We have to hit a number. We got to max. I hear things all the time. I got to maximize my selling time. I got to maximize this. How do you help? Like you've given some exa examples, find the moments that matter, find the behaviors, and then learn what good looks like. Okay, great. And then we can deconstruct those into small chunks. I love all of that, right? Uh, sometimes when you're at it, sometimes you may just need a bite and all you need is a bite, get that bite right. And it fixes everything. So I love all of that. Now I want to shift a little bit to, cause we're down to our last 20 minutes. It's great. Not even 20 minutes, it's 15, 16 minutes. How do you, if you're a leader, how do you say, okay, I want to do this. How do I build that into my leadership cadence? What do you see people do that makes it so that's expected? It's part of the culture. It's not fixing. Some people see that as, oh, I must suck at this. I guess I got to change this. There's a big difference on improving and fixing, I think. is. Can you address that? Yeah. So one one really, really powerful um, thing that, that, that we'll often recommend if you're for leaders who are wanting to build cultures of practice on their teams, and there are ways to do this after the hiring process. But I found that one of the most powerful places to insert practice is into your hiring. And a lot of sales leaders do this, but again, we've found that there's a bit of a, a bit of a fuzziness between the performance and, and the learning zone in this moment. And what I mean by that is a lot of sales organizations will use role play as part of the interview, right? But all too often I've found they're looking for the wrong things in this role play moment. They're looking for how well the rep can sell the product. Yeah. Can you do research it already? They've done. Yeah. Can you do it already? Okay. There is a massive, massive missed opportunity that, that role play and practice provides in making sure you're getting the right people on the bus on your team. And that is for looking at a rep's willingness to step out of their comfort zone, to try something new, to take a risk and an at bat and screw up, to ask for feedback to receive feedback, then take that feedback and try another at that, right? Those are all of the soft, like certain like je ne sais quoi things that people are like, oh, we wish there was a way to test for, for these soft qualities that make for such great teammates and great sellers in the hiring process. But asking them a question like, when was the last time you took constructive feedback? Everyone has a rehearsed answer for that, but you get to see it in real time. And mm. if you start to shift what practice is and the, the purpose of doing practice into the hiring process, you can start to build a culture of people who are willing to get uncomfortable, who are willing to get vulnerable, who want to learn, who want feedback, who want to improve, who want to iterate. And that's one very powerful way of starting to build a practice culture from the moment that any salesperson has any interaction with your organization. That is a killer I love that you just gave that to our, I, I hope that there's a few thousand people that do that, like in their interviews that they have later today or tomorrow, right? Me Try too. That. Yeah, seriously. I love that. Game changing. Let, let me throw out a couple of things that come to my mind and have you tell me like, if these are, you know, good practice or bad practice. Like I, I think of that Seinfeld episode, good naked and bad naked. Like I want to have good practice, bad practice now, yeah. like team meetings. Is that a time to practice or no? 
It can be a great time to practice, but- How do you make it great? How do you make it great? That's what I want to know. Give me the butt, Jordana. I I love it. That's going to be a video we use for sure in Sales Leaders United. (laughs) Wave that finger and say, but, okay. (laughs) But it is vital. And we've put a lot of thought into this in the practice lab. And when we set up our trainings for AEs and our cohorts or for teams who've never practiced with us in their life, we really emphasize the importance of this being a place where people can make mistakes, right? We call it out. We let them know that this is maybe their one invitation over the course of a high pressure week where they can be imperfect and where they cannot be smooth. And we invite them to solicit feedback from the group and encourage members of the group to offer feedback as well. So provided it's not this high stakes performance thing at a team meeting that everybody dreads and will benefit nobody from skill development, group practice at a team meeting for 10 minutes could be an amazing way to, in a light lift way, start to build that that culture of practice and growth skill. Jonathan, any comments on that one? I think the only other piece too is that it, it, you do need to make sure you clarify in advance what good looks like and what you're aiming for. Otherwise yeah. people just show up do what they always do and then sit down, right? You want to be telling them, all right, folks, we're going to practice this moment of the call. And in this moment, here's two things or one thing that we're looking to improve. Everyone clear? Great. Now you get your chance to practice. And again, to what Jordana said, you do have to very clearly specify in no uncertain terms, this is not a test. This is not a performance. This is not a certification. This is not a competition. This is an opportunity for you to push yourself to the edge of your abilities. And the best way to know you're at the edge of your abilities is when you start making mistakes. So when you start making mistakes, you know you're in that wonderful Goldilocks zone where it's like just hard enough to be pushing you to grow. If you clearly lay that out in advance, you can generally create a bit more of that atmosphere for people to loosen up and really lean into the practice instead of you know, <laughs> dreading it. And the more you screw up, the more we'll celebrate you. Literally, like mm-hmm. championing mistakes rather than just perfection and successes telegraphs something very powerful in a team. It's like a so I'm so glad you asked that. I was going to ask you if you should celebrate those things. That's what I was going to ask you. What's Hell the role yes. of celebration? Tell me how you do that. I like this is like I wish that I had gotten to this part sooner. Like we're going to have to have you guys come back. We're going to run out of time. Like, what's the role? Because the reason I asked about the, the reason I asked about team meetings, I think there's a benefit of watching people practice as long as it's safe and celebrated. But you don't want it to be what you said, the performance zone. There's an improvement zone and a performance zone. We got to have that be the perform the improvement zone rather than performance. That's why I specifically ask because I know a lot of people will use role plays in a team meeting, and that's not practice. Can you make a team meeting a practice time? How do you celebrate, Jordana? I mean, literally, just like woo, good, like yes, you know. And if a, if a if a rep is like, oh my god, that's so embarrassing. As a leader, just encourage everybody on the team to cheer and champion them. I mean, this is where like that sports team vibe, and I was never an athlete myself, and I know a lot of people take issues with the the idea of, you know, sales teams as sports teams, but I think we can take our cues from like the very best and most fun ways that sports teams train and cohere. And there's a lot of support, a lot of celebration that happens on those teams, irrespective of wins or failures just loose. It's like, it's like, it's an opportunity to be loose, you know? And one of the most effective things I've found, um, 
you know, when a sales leader, as Jonathan said, is demonstrating what we're aiming for, it's really important that that demonstration be a great example of the skill, right? So people know. But if a sales leader then jumps into practice with their team as a practicer, not just a teacher, that's a great opportunity for a sales leader to get vulnerable. And then for a sales leader to not do it perfectly and for a sales leader to make mistakes. And that sends a really powerful signal that this is a culture of learning, a safe culture of learning. I've been on teams where leaders have made mistakes and it's just like, it's, it's been one of the most transformative things that they can do. So if the leader is not only the demonstrator and the teacher, but also in the trenches practicing with their team that that can change the culture. So it's gotta be intentional. Like I have this belief that things that you leave to be accidental become average at best. So if we're going to have this improvement zone, if we're going to create, and it sounds like that I might be okay with that term. Like as a leader, you got to create, we are leaving the performance zone and we are entering the twilight. I mean, the, the improvement zone and, um, and that it's okay to fail. In fact, we want to see you fail. We want to see, we want to celebrate improvement. We don't want to celebrate perfection. We are chasing progress, not perfection here. That's a really um, important note. And when you're leading these sessions, you shouldn't be like fawning over the reps who like do it perfectly on the first try. You should be fawning over the reps who stumble the first try, take some feedback and do it right on the second try. Those are the ones you should be focusing your attention on because again, that shows growth and improvement, which is the whole purpose of the session. The rep who does it right on the first try, eh, they're not at the edge of their abilities. They aren't getting the most out of the session. They're not the one to celebrate. It's the rep who messes it up the first time, but gets it the second time. That's the rep who was truly at the edge of their abilities and who just saw growth. That's the moment to celebrate. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you before we give you a chance to give everybody an opportunity to connect with you guys and, and ask you questions. And I hope you get a lot because um, I love what you guys do. We got 50,000 leaders listening. I hope there's a whole bunch that are like, I got to create an improvement zone for my team. That's what I hope they're saying right now. It's like, damn, we got pressure to perform. I got performance zone from the time they show up to the time they go home. And even when they can't sleep at night, any advice to these leaders? How do you create a legit improvement zone concept and culture for your team and your company? In four minutes. <laughs> Sorry, but I think it's a really good one. You guys, if you can help them, you have like, do two, there, here's two or three ways you can create an, an improvement zone in your organization. I think that'd be a really great way to wrap this. Mm, great. Jonathan, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, I mean, I think the most important part, as I mentioned before, that you carve out time specifically to the improvement zone and you very clearly communicate to the reps that this is what this is, right? Just telling them, hour a week, we're in the improvement zone. You could literally create a recurring team meeting called improvement zone and say, for one hour a week, we come, we push ourselves to the edge of our abilities. Um, one way to do that is through, you know, the kind of practices we've been talking about for the last hour. Um, no. The way that I like to do this, though, is that you can even like take recordings of calls and use this as a way for people to improve. And what we suggest is doing something a little different than the traditional call review, because the traditional call review is like you watch the call, you pause it and you say, OK, what do you think about what the seller just did? And what would what have you done in the past when you've been in those situations and what kind of sales theories might apply to the situation? And that's certainly useful. But what we find is another great way to put reps into the improvement zone other than, you know, traditional practice is to play a recording. And then like right as the buyer stops talking, pause the tape, forget what just happened. Ask everyone in the room, what would you do next? If you were mm -hmm. the seller, where would you take the conversation? How would you respond to that objection? And basically you give reps brains an opportunity to process a situation and come up with you know, an appropriate next step or an appropriate question in an environment that's completely safe, in an environment that's zero risk. 
So that's just one other option for what to do when you have reps in this improvement zone. Um, if you, you know, if you're getting tired of just the practicing and the role-playing, then you can use game tape as another way to kind of stretch their brains, stress their minds and give them a, a new opportunity to grow their skills. But I honestly think it could be as simple as just telling your reps during this hour each week, we are in the improvement zone. We're focused on pushing ourselves to abilities and getting better. No one's expecting you to be perfect. This isn't a test. This is where we become better. I think just that disclaimer is enough to set the right tone. And then you just got to find stuff for them to do during that hour each week. Jordana, what do you think? Well, I was just going to add, I mean, something that we do, and maybe it could even be called improvement zone for, for other teams, but in our cohorts, we have a channel called the do channel. And that's a place where reps, cause, cause, cause our whole program is built on this idea of learn, practice, do right. The practice piece turns the learning into, into the doing. And the do channel is a place where reps share their attempts, not just their wins, but their attempts. If it went amazingly well, like face palmingly terrible. And especially in a moment when every, so many teams are selling remote, which I couldn't imagine having started my sales career, not being able to hear people in the sales pit selling. I mean, that's how I learned and, and found my voice, but this is a great way to like bridge that that divide where everyone is kind of siloed selling from their kitchens or wherever, where you get to hear each other. But the vitalness there is for leaders and enablement folks to really celebrate and encourage the the failures, right? The the attempts that didn't go so well in that channel, and for leaders who are also carrying a bag, who are selling themselves, to put their own attempts in there too, not as examples of leadership perfection, but actively soliciting feedbacks from their reps about opportunities and areas for them to improve too. Sure, you guys have tons of ways you can help our leaders do this because you guys are the experts at this. You build systems that allow this. And there's one thing I'd finish with. I love the quote, losers have goals, but winners have systems. So don't set a goal to create an improvement zone. Don't set a goal to get good at deliberate practice. Build a system. And so we got 50,000 people that are listening to us. How do they get a hold of you guys? How do they connect with you guys? How do they ask you questions if they want to build those systems? They want to have those benefits that comes from a practice, deliberate practice and improvement zone. How, how do they learn more about you and, and the practice lab? Yeah, good. So our, our website is the practicelab.co. Jonathan and I are incredibly active on LinkedIn. So you can find us there. Hello at the practicelab.co is the place for, for all of those questions and explorations of how we might be able to support your team. And then Jonathan, do you want to share the super, the super exciting thing for <laughs> listeners of the show? Yeah, absolutely. So we've actually got something, uh, an offer for anyone listening to this show. So uh, we actually have an exercise that we built for one of those moments in the sales conversation that carries large weight in how things go. And it's one of those moments that you really need practice at because it's a moment where there's a lot of money on the line, emotions are running high, you don't have a lot of time to think. And that moment, of course, is, is when you hear an objection, right? Such as, hey, you know, my VP just shot this down, or we just got our budget cut, we're going to have to push this till next year. That's very much a make or break moment in the sales conversation. And we have an exercise that we built to help reps learn about. And Let's go. Practice. Yeah. An opportunity to actually practice a framework for responding to those objections in a way that actually lowers the buyer's defenses, gets them to open up their mind to new possibilities and ideas. And ultimately that just ensures the conversation continues and the deal doesn't die right there. So for the first five people who email us at hello at the practice lab.co, We'll actually come run a private practice session with your team at no cost. And since this is a podcast and some people will be listening to this, you know, uh, long after it's been posted, for anyone who emails us after the first five, we'll actually give you everything that you need 
to actually run this session with your team in our absence. Um, wow. Just bring the team with a, with a kind of a blueprint that we provide. So again, just the email address. Out. Yeah, so the email address is hello at thepracticelab.co. Um, you can just put the subject line as, you know, sales leadership podcast um, and let us know you're interested in taking us up on the offer for the free practice session. And we will come practice with your team. And I'll put all, we'll, <clears throat> our producer will put all of that in the show notes. We'll make it really easy. My advice, take advantage of it. Get those, get those assets, have them do that. Those first five are going to be a lucky five. And I can't wait to hear who it is and how those go. Um, this has been an incredible uh, conversation. I, I got multiple pages here of what we talked about today. Any final thoughts? I know we're out of time. We got, we're, we're up on it, but do you guys have like a, 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 each of you, maybe like your kind of final thought to the listeners about why they should practice, how they should practice anything that they might have in their mind as they wrap up this. It's like the, so what for what you've done today, maybe Jonathan, you go first and then Jordana and we'll, we'll, we'll be done. I have a I have a thought experiment that I've I've liked doing over the years that I think will probably be helpful for leaders too. Imagine in your mind that they make selling into an Olympic sport. How do you think the U.S. Olympic selling team would train? How would they spend their time? How would they prioritize their time? Think that through, and then ask yourself the question: Why can't we do that? Why wouldn't we do that? And when I asked myself that question, of course, one of the answers that came to mind was they would be spending time in that improvement zone in practice. But it honestly, it goes beyond that, right? They'd probably be tackling mental health and physical health in a way that most sales teams don't. They would certainly be prioritizing their time and spending their time differently than most sales teams do. So that could be a really useful thought exercise is imagining a U.S. Olympic sales team and then modeling your own sales team after whatever you come up with. I cannot Thank top you. that. Let's wrap okay. there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> This was awesome. Uh, it, it's Jonathan Mahan, Jordana Zeldin. They're the co-founders of the Practice Lab. If you are not creating improvement zones for your team, you need to reach out with them. If you already are focused on practice, you'll even benefit more from them. Okay, uh, They are helping organizations make selling just as disciplined as an Olympic sport. They're doing it by creating improvement zones, deliberate improvement, not accidental improvement, Find ways to connect with them. Find ways to adopt this deliberate practice uh, to what you do. And I promise you, you will get all of those results that Jordana told us you would get. And you'll probably get them even a little faster than you may think possible. Jonathan, Jordana, thank you for giving us an hour of your day. On behalf of 50,000 sales leaders all around the world, we appreciate you. We wish you only the success and uh, help people be a little more deliberate. Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. We are having a different year than we've ever had, facing new challenges than we've ever had to face. And every single sales leader needs to find ways to create more impact with the people they lead. And that's why I created Sales Leadership United. If there's one thing I learned from Jordana and Jonathan today, it's that treating our craft as a profession is important. And it isn't just true for salespeople. Sales leaders need to up their game just as much, if not more, than salespeople do. And that's not easy. It takes being intentional. It takes prioritization. You've got to be really focused in order to stay fresh, modern, current, so you can continue to have high impact. 
I see too many people using what was done to them when they were coming up the ranks as what they do for their leadership strategy and philosophy of today. And honestly, that's why I created Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Members of Sales Leadership United have access to proven trainings, techniques, and tactics used right now to solve leadership challenges by some of the world's most successful sales leaders. With a simple search, you can find sales leadership resources, proven frameworks, modern systems, sales meeting ideas you can use immediately, and much, much more. Systems on any leadership topic you'll need are ready for you to tap into at Sales Leadership United. Hundreds of video segments for some of the most successful sales leaders in the world are only one search away. You can find Sales Leadership United on Patreon, and for less than the cost of lunch, you can have access to more sales leadership materials than you may have ever imagined. New materials released every week, and you will never be operating on old systems as a member of Sales Leadership United. So check the link in the show notes and check out Sales Leadership United today, and be sure to send me a message saying hi when you sign up. Okay, practice. This is a topic we have never really dove into uh, as a standalone episode on the podcast, and I'm embarrassed to say it took my buddy Larry Long Jr. to introduce me to the, the folks at the practice lab for me to prioritize this massively important topic. Listen, NBA player Allen Iverson is maybe as famous about his rant about practice as he is for anything he accomplished on the court. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want you to look it up. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you realize just how important practice should be in your sales leadership system. Because most salespeople practice on prospects. Let me say that again. Most of your salespeople, they practice on the prospects. And that's a fact. Right? Yeah, some people do role playing, and there's some things that we do for training. And I know all about the video role playing and coaching tools, but I also know this the most important metric to me right now in sales, right now it's win rate. I think it's been the most important for a long time, but people don't know what to do with it. I think win rate is a board level uh, initiative that should be talked about all the time. And the easiest way for me to know if I'm having impact as a sales leader is to see win rate rise. And one of the ways to do this is to have reps who handle conversations and, and have reps follow up better, right? Handle your conversations better, follow up better. It isn't just more at-bats. It isn't just more calls. It isn't just more conversations. It's handling that at-bat better. It's the quality of that at-bat. You know, if you're a baseball player, it's, it's, it's not striking out looking. And, um, and both Jordana and Jonathan are right. It isn't just practice. It's what Jonathan said immediately as we came out of the gate. It's deliberate practice. So this conversation reminded me of years ago when my oldest son was in martial arts. For every advancement he had, and he was a competitive martial artist, there's some people that just sign him up and let's get the belts, whatever. No, we traveled the world competing in what was called the National Black Belt League. Uh, and, and it was intense. and It was cool. and It was fun. And for every advancement he got as he would go through and became his black belt, uh, he had a creed that he had to memorize as part of that level. You know, a creed is like a saying. And the very first creed he had to memorize, the very first thing that he was asked as part of, of, of getting out of his white belt was very simple. He had to say, practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect, sir. And the amount of practice and repetitions that went into preparing for his tournaments was amazing. I watched him experience, don't practice till you do it right. Instead, practice until you can't do it wrong. They would talk about that. 
Don't practice till you get it right. We got to practice until you can't get it wrong. And I think that's what deliberate practice is. It's the kind of practice that does more than just build proficiency. It's the kind that builds confidence, competence, swagger. You have this feeling that you can see around corners and it's not that we're cocky. Instead, it's just that we're prepared. It's the kind of practice that makes you like Neo in the matrix. When all the bullets are coming at you, you can grab it and look at it and toss it to the side. Everything slows down and you see things coming at you a mile away. That kind of confidence, that kind of swagger. And in my experience, you can use practice to accelerate a salesperson's career about 10x because you need one-tenth the live number of reps, right? You don't need quite as many meetings as you might have needed before because you're not practicing and developing and improving. You're just doing. And at that point is when you make the reps count rather than counting the reps. So my advice is to follow the blueprint shared by Jonathan and Jordana. Make practice part of your leadership rhythm. I believe you'll have a massive success story if you can create an improvement zone, not just a performance zone. The improvement zone will help you so it's not fail safe, but instead it's safe to fail. You can have people practice with confidence and you can celebrate and it can be all these things where it's safe. It's like stepping on a practice mat in that dojo where you're never going to get hurt and you're never going to lose. And all you're going to do is get better. And I remember taking my son to that dojo six o'clock in the morning for focused, deliberate practice as they would get ready for the next tournament that we would be traveling to. And what happens is when you would get in those sparring matches as a fighter, he would see like the opportunity to do a specific move way in advance. He would see it coming. I want your reps to see it coming too. So my advice, follow that blueprint. Make practice part of your rhythm. Make sure that you choose to build that fail-safe environment in the improvement zone and take the advice from these guys from the practice lab. Make selling an Olympic sport. And if you want them to compete better, then you got to train better. Train every part of the sales process, every single part. And use these training exercises as part of your observational moment strategy because your observations and coaching in the improvement zone will make it so you'll have far more celebratory moments in the performance zone. And if you don't have an improvement zone, then make one, create one, start. Don't make it perfect when you start. Just start. Make it fun. Make it game-like, but start. You'll improve. Your results will start to improve almost immediately. So Jordana, Jonathan, thank you so very much for joining me. Congrats on your success. I am excited to see what you guys do. Congrats on helping solve one of the most important problems in sales, and that's creating deliberate practice moments. Thanks to each of you. Thank you for your willingness to share with sales leaders all around the world. I appreciate you, and I'm grateful that you'd share an hour of your day with our leaders. My advice to our listeners, reach out to both of these people connect with them, check out the resources of the practice lab and take them up on their free offer. I'll have links to access it in the show notes. You'll be glad you checked it out. Be sure to check out Sales Leadership United in the video segments uh, and get the video segments of my highlights of this conversation. I'll have several of them in there that you're going to want to use for sure. And then finally, Thanks to each of you, again, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give us is to share the show with those you work with. There is no show without you. Please introduce your, your colleagues to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Please, if you're comfortable, leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to Patreon. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. Be sure to say hi when you're there. 
Thank you for your support of this show. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. And if you liked this message, please share it with someone who needs to hear it. And then get after it this week, because life is short. We got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite, live strong, and chase your passions, and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this, and I got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.